Welcome to the River of Life Church podcast, your home for weekly messages that will equip you in your spiritual growth. Thank you from everyone here at ROLC and enjoy the sermon. Good morning, River of Life Church. And good morning to everyone who's worshiping online. As we were singing that last song, I also was touched and God provoked a thought into my heart and mind, my spirit. When we look at gathering as a church, Sunday to Sunday, gathering to worship, gathering to lift up the Lord, you know what also happens? Throughout the week, we are bombarded with a narrative that goes contrary to God's priorities, to God's morality, to God's standard. And when we gather on a Sunday, not only to worship first and foremost, but also to receive from Him it becomes a recalibration. It's almost like when you're in the midst of a storm, what does someone who is navigating over water look to to find direction? Before all of the modern technology, they would make sure their compass was calibrated and functioning properly. And that's what happens when we come and we gather. Sometimes we feel like, oh, you know, church, when I make it, I make it. But what we don't realize, as we allow the span, the gap, to become wider and wider, whereas there may become weeks in between, then we're being saturated by a narrative that's not really going to enlarge our faith, cause us to remain focused and prioritized on what is going to bring blessing, not only to our lives, but to our family and those attached and connected to us. And so that's why we come. We come because, Lord, I need to make sure I'm calibrated correctly. The other day, we were having issues with the church printer. So Cindy took and she called the company that handles all of our service. And they said, it sounds like what needs to take place is the printer needs to be recalibrated so that the colors are properly functioning. There's no misshading. And so Cindy went through, followed the command that the technician said over the phone, and sure enough, it was like a new printer again. And that's what happens with us. So how many are ready to be recalibrated this morning? Say amen. Amen. Last week, I spoke on the Valley of Baca. And as I began to really prepare for today's message, the Lord really inspired me and directed me to build on what he laid in the way of foundation last week. The Valley of Baca, which is a pilgrimage that Jewish people in ancient times would make far and wide, a large valley, a large wilderness, a gulf where there's no life, barren of water and vegetation. But people during times of celebration, such as the Feast of Weeks, Feast of Tabernacles, the Day of Atonement, they would make this long and arduous journey through that wilderness. It wasn't a day's trip. It was a trip that would take multiple days. It was strenuous. It could be life-threatening. And if you didn't prepare properly in advance, you could find yourself in the middle of that valley, barren, without resource, without water, and your life in jeopardy. Thus, it received the name, the Valley of Weeping, the Valley of Baca. But the whole purpose and what would motivate and lead people through that so that they didn't become stuck in the middle. You ever feel like you've been stuck 
in the middle. Sometimes spiritually you feel like, Lord, I've gone so far. Lord, I don't want to remain in this place. I want to go to the next level. In fact, how many of you want to go to the next level? We will never arrive in this lifetime, and that's why it's a continual journey. And so the people who would make this long venture, this pilgrimage, from wherever they were through this gulf, a historical place, the Valley of Baca, the Valley of Weeping, they would focus on their purpose and their destination. Because if they lost sight of their destination, then all of a sudden they'd find themselves just completely abandoned, demotivated, and honestly preparing to die. And so when this happens, and maybe some of you feel like this in your spiritual walk with God, maybe you are in a very difficult place. Maybe you feel like you're stuck in the middle of the valley of Baca, sorrow, your resources maybe have dried up, and, and, and you've been well-intentioned, you've been serving the Lord, but it's like you can't see the finish line in front of you, and, and you're really tempted just to stop and just abandon everything. If so, God's Word for you today, in fact, God's Word for all of us, when it comes to this pilgrimage, it's called life. We need to understand in our walk with God, it's not an option. What am I saying? There's no turning back. That's the title of my message. That's what I want to focus on today. No turning back. So here's the million dollar question. How can a person resist the overwhelming urge to give up? Have you ever been tempted to give up? I know it's hammered me at times. When you're in a hard place, when you don't understand, it doesn't make sense, and you look up to God and say, Lord, what are you doing? First and foremost, we need to understand every good and perfect gift comes from the Lord. So if we're in the midst of sorrow or tragedy, God has not brought that on. Did you hear me? God is not the source of your problem. He's the source of your answer. Amen. And so if we bite into the lie that God is afflicting us. He does not afflict. Bad choices can bring affliction. Spiritual warfare can bring affliction. But God never afflicts. He's here to comfort and to restore the afflicted. That's what the Bible says. So if you think anything else, I don't know what Bible you're reading, but you're not reading mine. So no turning back. It needs to be the foundation. It's non-negotiable. We need to understand the journey I've begun, I've got to see it through. I love what Paul says, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Lord, have you brought me here to die? Well, for me to live as Christ and die is gain, but God's not out to kill your physical life. But he does want to put to death self and ego so that no longer it's I that lives, but Christ lives in me. So how can a person resist this overwhelming urge to give up? I believe the answer is found in Numbers chapter 14, verses 1 through 4, as we again, we look at the theme, no turning back. Let's read this. Listen as I read aloud. So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, 
If only we had died in the land of Egypt. Sounds like they're in Baca. Or if only we had died in the wilderness. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not have been better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, you can get into trouble when you start talking to one another. So they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. In other words, a politician that gives you what you want rather than what's necessary and what God sees as best. You see, the Jews, they had been slaves in Egypt for 400 plus years. And so finally when God says, and he heard the cry of the people, he raised up a deliverer. A man by the name of Moses. And here he was coming to initiate saying yes to the plan that God had for the nation of Israel. And one thing you'll find, whenever God has a plan, God wants to see it through. In fact, you'll know it's God's plan when Satan sends roadblocks to try and derail us and stop us. How many of you maybe have a few roadblocks that are hammering you? Well, that's a good sign then. Because the devil wants to keep you from your destiny, your blessing, your breakthrough, your provision, your miracle, your ministry. Because God doesn't do miracles in us for it to stop with us. He blesses so we can be a blessing. And so the Lord raised up Moses and ten times he went before Pharaoh. And God responded each time with ten different plagues because Pharaoh had hardened his heart. One thing you never want to do when God is speaking, never harden your heart. I think we should just respond every time with two words. What do you think they are? Yes, Lord. In fact, everybody just say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. So here, finally, after 10 plagues, Pharaoh humbles himself for a moment before God, and he allows the Jewish people to exodus from Egypt. Moses then leading them. Finally, they come up to the Red Sea, a large body of water. From man's standards, an impossibility. God likes it when we face impossibilities. Did you know that? Because that's when the God of the impossible makes all things possible. And so here they are, Pharaoh's heart, Pharaoh's heart had now hardened again. He rethought his pride, his ego took over. And he gets the chariots and the horsemen, horsemen of Egypt, and they begin to chase after the Israelites. Finally, when they're just about to come upon the people of God, the Lord sets in place a wall of fire. Glory to God. Amen. Aren't you glad we serve a God of fire? On the day of Pentecost, what happened? Tongues of cloven fire rested upon the church. I thank God for His fire. I thank God for the Holy Spirit. When God is in something, He will supernaturally protect he will supernaturally provide. And a wall of fire came and stood between Pharaoh and his armies and the people of Israel. Moses then looked at that great body of water, just simply by faith said, stand to behold the glory of the Lord. You know what the word glory means in the Hebrew? It means the reputation of the Lord. Who God is. You know, everyone establishes a reputation, don't we? Well, God has an incredible reputation. In fact, no one matches his reputation. Just like I, when I preached on, on Elijah and, and, the, and the God who answers by fire on Mount Carmel, let he be God. And God responded, the prophets of Baal, they prayed, cut themselves, cried. They were pretty embarrassed after a, a fruitless endeavor. 
But then Moses, not Moses, but Elijah goes, he rebuilds the altar, places the sacrifice on it, douses it with gallons upon gallons upon gallons of water, and then God sent fire from heaven and consumed the sacrifice, consumed the wood, and even consumed the stone. That's a pretty hot fire. And so here we have the same God who was there for Elijah, the same God who set the wall of fire between the Egyptians and Moses. He then parts that great body of water, the Red Sea. And the Bible says they went through on dry ground. Now, it's important to understand all of the miracles back to back that God did in order to appreciate what the Israelites were saying when they stood before the promised land. So here you have God comes through, he parts the water, and then finally when the last Israelite touches dry ground on the other side of the Red Sea, then what takes place? The wall of fire disappears, the armies of Pharaoh begin to pursue through that same parting in the Red Sea. Only when they're about halfway through, the water converged, went back to its normal state, and all of those soldiers, those horsemen, those chariots, the animals as well, all of them lost their life because they tried to fight God. Aren't you glad you can't fight God and win? There's no one like the Lord, our God. Praise His name. So here you have, at this point, they're brought then to the banks of the Jordan River. And here they are looking at what God had said He would lead them to, the land of promise, the land flowing with milk and honey. But because they began to look back instead of looking ahead, they were hindered, they were stifled, their faith was stolen, their strength was removed. Why? Because the moment we begin to argue with the plan of God for our lives, rather than obeying and following His leading, that's when the antithesis of faith takes place and fear enters in. I've said this many times, but I think it's always good to repeat because there's always a learning moment and there may be someone that hasn't heard this. Did you know just as faith pleases God, fear pleases the devil? In fact, faith is to God what fear is to the devil. Fear is faith, but it's faith in, his, in the devil's lies. It's faith in the negative. And so here you have all of Israel the promised land before them. But yet they began to listen to the wrong narrative. And that's why we can learn from the walk they had and make it applicable to our own personal lives in order to prevent a setback. What do we need to do? We need to focus on my first point. Write it down on your bulletins. God's promise. To prevent a setback, you need to focus on God's promise. God always keeps His Word. How many believe that? He never lies. It's impossible for Him to lie. Look at what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. For all, everybody say all. For all the promises of God in Him are yes. And in Him, amen. Everybody say amen. amen. Oh, that was hardy. To the glory of God through us. So in other words, these promises... That, God's bring, that God brings are for us. They're yea and amen. So that people can see the goodness and the faithfulness of God in our lives. And then when they see Jesus in us, that inspires them, that it motivates them 
to desire the same thing we have, the same Jesus we have. You know what I believe has happened in, in the world today is I think there was a time, especially when you look back over great revivals, where those without the Lord, I got saved during that whole Jesus revolution. And, and, and when the Lord touched me, it, it was overwhelming. And when I would see others that were just so sold out to Christ, myself as a believer now sold out, it made me want to serve the Lord and love Him even more. To this day, I always pray, Lord, help me to love you more. There's so many distractions. There's so much stuff going on around us. It can take and demotivate us or lead us in a direction we don't need to go. And, and then what happens, we find ourselves beginning to start to believe these narratives, these things that are contrary to the Word of God. I heard the other day, my mother, I was talking to her, I usually call her once a week and go down to see her Cindy and I once a month. And I was talking to her on the phone and she said to me, Craig, I just heard the other day that there is a group of people that are rewriting the Bible in order to take out all of the controversy so that it's universal and pleasing for everyone. As a mom, I, I didn't hear that. I know that the whole LGBTQ community has put in place what's called the Rainbow Bible that has removed any inference and reference to the sin of homosexuality. I said, but I had not heard now, but it doesn't surprise me. A universalist Bible. I'm glad that the promises of God don't change. People may want to change His Word, but honestly, every promise, every directive, every command, you know it's there to help us and to bless us, not to hurt us. I have found when I have gotten into trouble, it's when I've strayed from what God is saying and began to follow what Craig was saying. Now, I know none of you have ever done that, but that's happened to me a few times, and it's become a learning curve. God's promises, as Paul says, are yea and amen. God always says yes in response to His promises. And if He denies His word, then He's lied. And we know the Word of God says God cannot lie. God is bound by His Word. Did you know that? Hebrews 6.18 says it's impossible for God to lie. He's bound by it. His Word is His bond. You ever heard that? People would say, maybe a used car salesman, hey, you can count on me. My Word is my bond. And then the car is back and you have issues. Oh, well, that's not covered under that temporary warranty. Or your warranty has run out. Well, the Lord is not a used car salesman. He is Lord over all, King of kings. And His Word is His bond. Now you would think, getting back to Israel now, standing at the banks of the Jordan River, looking at the promised land from a distance, from across that body of water, you would have thought, after all of this, and what they had just witnessed, miracle after miracle, remember the ten plagues, and, and then the wall of fire, and, and, and then the parting of the Red Sea, and then the enemies of God, the enemies of Israel, consumed and destroyed in the middle of the Red Sea so that the threat was stopped. You would have thought, and, and I know you've probably read the Bible just like me, and you say to yourself, my goodness, how could they doubt God after all they had just seen? But you know what? That's part of the fallen nature. We have a tendency to pull ourselves down. There is that downward negative pull that Satan you know, tries to bring against us, it's all around us. If our eyes were opened even into the atmosphere right now, we would see demonic spirits 
that speak in secret, causing people to believe a lie over the truth. And that's why the only thing that disarms the lies of hell is the truth of God's Word. And so here they began, as we read in our opening portion of Scripture, they began to talk amongst themselves. People who are headed in the wrong direction always look for others that will join them. And, and, and what they don't realize is they're leading people into sorrow, into destruction, into, into, into weakness, into fear. And God never leads us in that direction. And so here they are. The mindset of Egypt was still with them. And that's an important thing to understand. Remember, 400 plus years in Egypt. A generation, according to Scripture, is 40 years. So if you divide 400 plus by 40, that's multiple generations. A hundred generations that had taken and been indoctrinated by the paganism, the false worship, the lies, the bondage of all of the Egyptian empire. They had taken on the mindset of Egypt. And that is what corrupted their attitude of faith. And you know, the same can happen to us. As I mentioned earlier, we are indoctrinated 24-7. The world we live in is constantly pushing an agenda that goes contrary to the Lord. I even say this, I thank God for the parents that bring their children to church. We have so much emphasis on an academic training. I'm, I believe in academia with all of my heart. But one day we won't need the academics. One day when we all draw our last breath, our children included, when they grow into senior adults with children and grandchildren of their own, the academic achievements they have earned during their lifetime won't be necessary in eternity. But the spiritual academia, the Christian education, the truth of God's Word, teaching a little heart to worship, teaching a little heart when they watch the praise team, they want to be just like the praise team. When they go to Sunday school and they hear the teaching in children's church and in youth church, it causes them to want to be like their mentor, those that are instructing them in the ways of the Lord. That is something that will never be lost. That will be carried throughout the ages, even yet to come. Creations yet to come. Kingdoms that God will establish yet to come. And Scripture says of His kingdom, there will be no end. So we're constantly saturated with, with a narrative that's in opposition to the things of God because the world, Satan, who controls their mindset, wants us to think just like he wanted to do to the Israelites, like the Egyptians. He wants us to think outside of the realms of the Lord God of hosts and the promises of His Word. And when that attitude of faith is weakened, then our thinking becomes like the world. And then we find ourselves living just like the world. As I mentioned, when I got saved during the whole Jesus revolution, I was motivated by those. My, I remember my pastor said to me, I said, Pastor, how can I just really become all that God wants for me? And he goes, well, the same principle that applies in sports, the same principle that applies in academics and other arenas of life applies to the spiritual walk with God. Find people who are better than you, who love Jesus more than you, at least in their outward demonstration and commitment, and their spirit 
will rub off on you. So I've always tried to surround myself with people that are immensely and passionately in love with Jesus. That's contagious. Amen. We talk about all that transpired, you know, during the whole COVID and the pandemic. You know, it was contagious. They had us wearing masks and, and, and just couldn't touch anything. I remember Cindy and I, we were told, make sure you wipe down your groceries when you get home from the grocery store. There was such a fear because of it being a contagion. Well, may we be like that in a positive way with our love and our faith in Almighty God and our commitment to His Son, Jesus Christ. May we be contagious. May people get around us and we rub off on them. They feel something they've never felt before. I officiated a wedding yesterday. Maggie uh, Welsh and Brett Jackamer, they attend here, were married. And then her brother and uh, his wife were there and they came up. And she's expecting, she's due in December, uh, the brother and his wife. And they asked me, he said, Pastor Craig, would you pray for our baby? So all of the music was playing. You know, people were celebrating, talking, laughter, great joy. I love weddings. In fact, the first miracle Jesus ever did was at a wedding reception. So the Lord is in favor of marriage. Somebody say amen. amen. Hallelujah. God wants more than living together. He wants people one in his presence through that holy bond of matrimony, marriage. And so they came out and said, would you, would you pray for our baby? It's a little girl. They already knew the gender. And they said she's going to be born in December. And I said, let's pray right here. So everybody's celebrating, they're dancing, they're singing, talking, families are reminiscing. And right there, Cindy and I, we laid hands on her belly. She gave us permission. We laid hands on her belly. And we prayed the blessing of the Lord on that child. We prayed that the birth would be healthy, the child would be healthy, the mother would be protected during the whole process of labor, and that this child would live a long life free from sickness and disease and blessed and would come to know Jesus at a very young age. Amen? I was so blessed in a non-church environment that because I try, and Cindy tries, we try to exude Jesus, that people, even in a non-church setting, a non-religious setting, they wanted prayer. You see, if we allow ourselves to fall more and more in love with Him, it'll change our whole walk of faith, it'll change our mindset, then we're no longer thinking like the world. You know, there could be some people who would be so religious, they would say, well, at the appropriate time, I'll pray for your child. Do it now. Do it now. Any moment, be available. Everybody shout out, I'm available. Hallelujah. So God, the world, what can happen, God's narrative can be changed by Egypt. And the promise of God being blinded and snuffed out by the lies of the world. And that's why thinking like the world, if we allow them to talk long in us and to dominate in our minds, thinking like the world will eventually make you like the world. And I don't want to be like the world. I want to be like Jesus. Here's a great statement. The Lord gave this to me as I was preparing for this message. A change of life requires a change of mind. Scripture says, let this mind be in you, which was also in who? Christ Jesus. If you really want to change your life and your living habits, your priorities, your mindset to have a mindset like Jesus, then that means 
You've got to re-examine what has dominance and priority for saturation of ways of living, lifestyles. A change of life requires a change of mind. Which means until you change your mind, you'll never solve my second point, the problem. We all face problems. Any of you have any problems you're dealing with right now? You're asking God for wisdom, direction, and I'm so thankful the Lord is a problem solver. Amen? But there are always problems in this life. Jesus said it, his own words, how do you know? It was written in red. Red letter edition, for those of you who didn't catch that inference. In this world, you will have tribulation. That isn't a negative confession. That's just a wake-up call that there's spiritual warfare happening all around us. And we need to be alert. We need to be sober-minded. We need to understand that. So when it comes to a problem, here's something that God wants to create in all of our hearts and lives. God wants you and I to see what He sees. Did you hear me? Sometimes our perception of what we see and our perception of it can be a complete 180 from what God sees in His perception. God wants people to see what He sees. And when you have the Israelites there with Moses, God said, I've prepared for you a land flowing with milk and with honey. When God looked at that land, he saw his promise ready to be fulfilled. But because the Israelites were still thinking like Egypt, their faith had been affected. Their mindset was misdirected. And they didn't see what God sees. And if we're not careful we can find ourselves doing the same thing. Look at Numbers chapter 13, first two verses, one and two. Then the Lord God spoke to Moses, saying, Send out for yourself men, so that they may spy out the land of Canaan, which I am going to give to the sons of Israel. You shall send a man from each of their father's tribes, every one a leader among them. So there were how many tribes of Israel? 12. So one leader from each tribe is selected, and they're sent out into the promised land so that they can see all of the beauty, all of the provision, all of the blessing that's waiting for them. So here they are. God wants Israel to see what He sees. But instead of seeing what God sees, they saw the obstacles. They saw the problems. They saw the issues. They saw obstacles standing in between them and what God had promised. And then as you take and you look at Numbers, chapter 13, verses 27 and 28, look at how they respond. Thus they told him, Moses, and said, We went into the land where you sent us, and it certainly does flow with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. Here's the problem. Nevertheless, don't ever progress to nevertheless. Stop at verse 27 and say, it certainly does flow with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. End of story. But then they went to the next verse. Nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong. And the cities are fortified and very large. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Anak were giants that indwelt and inhabited that area and that region. 
Now, the promised land, when you see in, in, in verse 27, it exceeded their expectations. I mean, there was also another reference where it says there were grapes the size of a man's fist. I've eaten some large grapes in my lifetime, but I've never, everybody hold up a fist right now. Think of a grape. Now, maybe they were embellishing, but it's in the Word, so I don't think so. I think it was just such blessing there that God said, I have reserved that. I have blessed that even before my people came. I have reserved this land and all of the fruit within for my children and their children's children and their children's 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 children. And we could go on and on all the way into the day we live now. What a magnificent blessing and inheritance that was waiting. Grapes the size of a man's fist, a land flowing with milk and honey. But because they went on to verse 28, and they allowed them nevertheless to take charge, the ten spies saw a problem. Giants. They saw the impossibility. But only two out of the twelve saw what was possible. Why? Because they saw through the eyes of faith. They saw what God saw. It's amazing how people can see the same thing, but have, again, two different perspectives. Look at what Jesus says regarding that in Mark's Gospel, chapter 9, verse 23. He said, all things, everybody say it, all things. Nice and loud for those online to hear. All things. All things are possible to who? To him. Who believes? Have any believers out there today? How about those of you watching online? Are there any believers out there? And that means all things is possible for you. Why? Because you're a believer. You believe. All things are possible for you in this auditorium. Why? Because you believe. And this you'll find when people move from believing to disbelief. This is when just as believing makes all things possible... Unbelief makes all things impossible. That's a pretty sobering statement. And when that happens, this is when people give up. And we see this in Numbers 14, verses 3 and 4. Look at, look at what's written. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword? That our wives and children should become victims. Would it not have been better for us to return to Egypt? That's what happens when, when you're believing a lie over the truth. When you're looking by the natural, you're following the wrong narrative, you're allowing the, the mindset of the world, the land of Egypt, and anything that's contrary to God to dictate what you believe is truth and commitment. It puts you back in bondage. Then all of a sudden, you begin to forget how bad it was in Egypt. 400 plus years, slavery, many of the pyramids built and erected by the blood of Jewish people whose bones are still within those stones. But yet, when you believe a lie over the truth, which means you've rejected the promise that God says is possible if you only believe. But if you turn your face on that promise, then all of a sudden, a lie begins to look very appealing. Let's go back to Egypt. It was better there. We had a good life there. It's amazing how warped Satan can cause a person to think. We see this in our nation. Look at all of the dilemma. Look at all of the moral issues. There should be no debate. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. But yet now there's all of this long dialogue, legal battles, all because people want to normalize 
their way of living. I don't mind how a person lives as long as it doesn't go against what God has said. And the reason I would mind when it goes against what God has said is because God sent his only son for the entire human race, for the beginning to the end of time. And if people are allowed to continue in their error, in their misconceptions of what God has said and spoken, embracing ways of living that are contrary to the word of God, those are the kind of things that can keep people from heaven. And we need to be so heavenly minded as believers that it breaks our heart at the thought of anyone missing that opportunity to spend an eternity with Jesus. And so, yes, I do take exception when I see sin being promoted as normal because I know that lie will usher countless souls into eternal darkness, much to the heartbreak of God. And because I pray for his heart every day, much to my heartbreak as well. Cindy and I, this past Wednesday, we celebrated our 43rd anniversary. Thank you, Lord, for his faithfulness in our, in our home, in our marriage. But we went, one of our children had given us a gift card to a restaurant called Odette's down in the New Hope area. So when we got to the restaurant and we were seated there, our hearts were broken by the climate of that little one-mile radius city and all of the lifestyle that's demonstrated there. Our hearts broke when the one who waited on us, looking so empty and broken, he looked as if his body was stricken with disease. And then all of the people seated round about us, very obvious, they're pursuing, pursuing lifestyles that are contrary to, to God's, God's pattern of life and living and what God calls normal in His sight. And our hearts just broke as we looked around and we saw these lost and hurting people. Why did Cindy and I feel this? Because that's what God feels. May we never become so self-absorbed that we lose sight of the broken people around us. When we are interested in what God's interested in, we can't help but be proactive for the kingdom. We have coming up next month, Back to Church Sunday. It's going to be a huge campaign next Sunday. I'm going to talk about it more. We're going to, we've ordered in thousands of door hangers. We have postcards. We're going to do campaigns through our community and the surrounding community just inviting people to come and see and experience and encounter Jesus. It's not about building this church. It's about building the kingdom of heaven. But whether or not this campaign is successful is whether or not the congregation, the people, those who love Jesus here at the river, participate. You're not here just to observe. I'm not here to observe. We need to see the broken people around us. And we need to care enough, just like God the Father did. He sent His Son not to visit, but to die. It was intentional. He gave His Son over to the kingdom of darkness and sin. He who knew no sin became sin for a moment so that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, the gift of salvation. And so that same heart, when you look at the early church, they were consumed. They just were overwhelmed with a passion to see others find the same Jesus they had found. And that's the way we need to be as well. But when the mind of Egypt, the mindset of the world, 
And this is such a narcissistic society. When we allow that to direct our steps, then instead of trusting in the Lord with all of your heart, and instead of leaning not on your own understanding, and instead of acknowledging the Lord in all of our ways so He can direct our paths, we find ourselves trusting in ourselves and our own understanding and the understanding around us. And then in the very end, people wonder why. Why did this go so awry? Why is it such a mess? Why is this world a mess? A mess? You know, I, I take and I hear all of the political debate and, and drama that happens and People are trying to say, well, it's because of this, it's because of that. No, it's because we have left Jesus out of the whole equation. And the more we leave him out, that space will not remain empty. We give up territory to the devil. And the more we remove God from our lives, just like the more he's removed from any nation, Satan will come in and occupy that space. That's what he wants. He wants to conquer the land, and the land is people. Who are made from the dirt of the earth. And the more we give up, the more the devil will take. This is not a time to just to give up land. It's time to take the land. And that's what God was speaking to the Israelites when they were at the banks of the Jordan River. Yes, there's obstacles. Yes, there's problems there. Yes, there's things happening. But listen, I've promised you. But yet Egypt still had a grip on their mind. Honestly, one of the greatest prayers we can pray in asking God's help and assistance on is, Lord, get the Egypt out of my life. Get the world, that mindset, out of my life. Help me to become more like Jesus. There was a time when people would look at the church for their cues and direction. And now we find more and more churches and Christians looking to the world to establish their direction. We idolize some of the superstars, quote-unquote, that the world has deemed themselves, instead of understanding. It doesn't matter how many people praise you in this life. If it's not honorable before God, I don't want it. Amen? Praise the Lord. Look at what Jesus says, finally, after he deals with the unbelief in people's hearts, when he responds and he tells those around him all things are possible, what he was really saying was, if you choose to believe, then doubt will turn its attack away. The way to overcome doubt and unbelief is with faith and faith in the promises of God. Believing what God has said without a doubt, even to the death, we say to ourselves, I have decided to follow Jesus. Nothing will drown this passion, this commitment from me. That's the kind of faith and belief that will silence the kingdom of darkness every single time. And it's that same kind of faith that will bring you through when you've reached that point and that sorrow in the valley of Baca when you're ready just to give up and then you're even battling and wrestling with the question, should I go back to Egypt? Should I go back to where I came from? Should I just walk away from my faith? Maybe all of this is just a fairy tale. I'm here to tell you, if you will hold on after you've done all that you know to do, if you maintain your stance, continue to stand. The Apostle Paul said in Ephesians, when all is said and done, when the smoke is settled, finally, you will still be standing. Why? Because God, give him praise. God takes us from strength 
to strength. God wants you to succeed more than you want to succeed. He's your greatest cheerleader. But it has to be done his way. Amen? To inherit God's promise, my closing point, there has to be a divine pursuit in our lives. There's a difference between hearing the word and knowing the word. Did you know that? We can sit, listen, we hear it. I remember my mother saying to me, Craig, did that go in one ear and out the other? That means I heard, but did I really know and understand what I was hearing? Look at what David says in Psalm 119, verse 11. It was a scripture that my pastor, my mentor gave me when I was just brandly new saved in Jesus. He said, memorize this scripture and it will save you your entire lifetime. And David said, your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Not just hearing the word, knowing the word. When the word is in us, anything that's contrary to the promise and the plan and purposes of God, it'll be exposed. My wife in banking for many, many decades and Finally, when she retired to be here, serving by my side at the river, you, you know, someone asked her a question once. They said, you've had all these years in banking. I'm sure you had encounters, experiences with counterfeit money. What is the secret to discovering and, and exposing counterfeit money? Do they have classes where you learn how to look for the flaws? And Cindy responded, oh, no. What happens is you become so familiar with the authentic. Anything less is immediately recognized. And that's what it means to hide God's word in our heart. We are so familiar with truth, with his word, that anything that speaks contrary to what the word of God says, it's immediately exposed. And if we hide God's word in our heart, I encourage people to memorize scripture. Cindy and I have memorized hundreds of scripture. And not so that we can be braggadocious, but because sometimes we don't always have our Bibles on us, right? So why not have the Bible in us? And then when the enemy comes, discouragement hits, I just speak Scripture right from my heart and mind. The Word I have hidden in my heart. I've always told, told people, if you're going through a, a physical struggle, maybe there's an infirmity, sickness, disease in your life, find Scriptures on healing memorize them. And the way we memorize is one side of an index card. We get an index card. On one side, we put the scripture reference. Then on the other side, we write the verse out. And then we have these large stacks where we would just quiz ourselves and go through and she would show the verse and then I would have to speak it and I would do the same to her. Now, here we are. Whenever a moment demands the truth, the promise of God, which is the power of God, and just as Jesus said, as it is written, we say to the devil, as it is written, in your face, devil, this is the word of God. They overcame, it says in Revelation, by the blood of the Lamb, the born-again experience, and by the word, everybody say the word, the word of their testimony. You got to speak the word. That's when life is released. When we speak the word just like God spoke the word at creation, we release the power of God, the fire of God, the same fire that fell on Mount Carmel, the same fire that protected the Israelites from the Egyptians, we release the fire of God against that strategy hell has designed against you. Speak the word. That's the difference between hearing 
and knowing. You see, head knowledge and heart knowledge are not the same. Have you ever heard people say, chew your food before you swallow? But then there's some people who just get the food in their mouth, don't chew, just swallow. They're the same people that you need to make sure you're versed in the Heimlich method. In case, true story, we were at a restaurant once, all of a sudden, we see this woman, you know, at a table, two tables away from us, and, you know, you could tell she, had, she was choking. And so one of the waiters went over, and I think in many restaurants, they teach uh, their servers to, to be able to know how to administer the Heimlich, you know, method. And so one of the male waiters went over, got this woman up, and did that. Then all of a sudden, it was a big chunk of steak. How do I know that? Because... When he finally did the last thrust, I watched the trajectory as this huge piece of steak went across and landed on the table right next to these people. Now, when you eat food that way, you put your life in danger, but without the chewing, you don't receive any of the nutrients within the food. And sometimes people can become like that when it comes to the Word of God. They just swallow it when God wants us to meditate on it. He wants us to chew on His Word, to get all the spiritual nutrients that are within that promise, that Word, that study, you know, so that it absorbs into us. So we're not only hearing the Word, but we're absorbing the Word, and now the Word is a part of us. Look at what Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. He says, study to show yourself approved to who? God. You don't do it to prove any. To any person that maybe you're in relationship with, a friend, the pastor, a wife, a husband, your children. Hey, you know how many scriptures I have memorized? You know, you chew on the word, you study for God's approval. And God's approval will always activate all of that word, all of that spiritual food that you have filled yourself with. You study to show yourself approved to God, Paul says, a worker that does not need to be ashamed. You know when shame comes into play? When there's a lack of results, when there's failure, people are embarrassed, they feel ashamed when something has transpired in their life that they know is less than par, that God does not say is acceptable. He says, study to show yourself approved of God, a worker that does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. When you study, you'll learn how to properly divide and set in place doctrine that we can stand upon in our faith. But when people are lessened in their study and pursuit of the Word of God, that's when they take things out of context. And then they build a whole doctrine till eventually even some of the atrocities we have seen, even in quote-unquote Christian circles, like Jim Jones, how could you ever convince a multitude of people to drink Kool-Aid laced with cyanide? But when the Word of God is not being divided properly, that's when people get misdirected and they bring harm on themselves and also those around them. We need to be men and women, young and old, of the Word of God. Amen? Study. What you pursue, do you know what it does? It reveals your passion. If you're all into sports, that'll be demonstrated in your passion. I love sports, but I'm just giving a principle here. What we pursue... What you pursue, what I pursue, reveals your passion. 
What you pursue also influences your decisions. And what you pursue determines your future. How many want a good future? God's prepared one, Jeremiah 29, 11 for us. A future filled with hope. God's not angry. He loves people. He thinks good thoughts towards you. That means when we go under any other direction other than His direction, His heart breaks for us. He wants us back on course. Why? Because it's His desire to bless us. In closing, in conclusion, let me make this statement. If you didn't hear anything else I said today, remember this. Going back to Egypt is not an option. Going back to your old lifestyle, going back to what you once were, it's not an option. Accepting a lower level of faith and commitment, it's not an option. Reject the mindset of Egypt. Reject the mindset of this world that wants to stop, bring to a halt the plans and the purposes the Lord has designed for your life. The same God, I like this, the same God who parted the Red Sea, the same God who protected the three Hebrews in the fiery furnace, the same God through David that defeated Goliath, and much more is the same God who is ready and willing to fight on your behalf. And His name is Jesus Christ. Say His name. Say Jesus. Say it again. Just say Jesus. Just say it over and over. Just worship Him, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We praise you, Jesus. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name. That's the same God who says there's no turning back. He says, I didn't bring you this far to abandon you now. The devil would try and make us think it's over. It's come to an end. I guess it didn't work. Well, again, my Bible says the promises of God are yea and amen. When I look at his promises, especially when I've been in some very deep waters, honestly, it made me cheer. Yay! The Lord was faithful. Yay! Amen. Yes. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. As you all stand, I want to make this altar about saying no to the mindset of Egypt. I want to make this altar about making a resolution within your own heart and mind that as difficult and as hard your life may be right now, you refuse to go back to what you once were. You refuse to relinquish any land in your life. You refuse to go back to Egypt. And your focus, your spiritual vision, your sights are set on the promised land that God has for you. You may not be in a battle now, but rest assured, they will come. And this is a word that you need to tuck within your spiritual pocket. So that not if, but when the day of evil comes, warfare happens in this life. When it comes, you'll be ready to stand and fight the good fight of faith. No turning back, amen? No matter how hard, no turning back. 
No matter how bleak it may look, no turning back. You may be in the valley right now. That baka, that weeping. But God says, this is not where you're called to stay. David said, as I pass through the valley of baka. Move from weeping to strength and the presence and the joy of the Lord. Amen. That promise is there. Latch on to it. Bulldog faith. Crocodile faith. Amen. Latch on and refuse to let go. And allow that faith that you attach to God's word to pull you in and to bring you in to the promised land, the breath blessing, the answer prayer that you are waiting for. Thanks for listening to the River of Life Church podcast. Subscribe and rate us right now on iTunes to be first to get access to new audio messages every week. Visit rolcdoylestown.org or like us on Facebook to always stay up to date on what's going on at ROLC. If you would like to support this ministry, visit the online giving page at our website. Join us next time for more from River of Life Church.